and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Week one is in the books and I am on the mic with the one and only Nate Hobbs to break down week one in the OUA. Nate, before we get into our picks and to the breakdowns of the game, what were what were your thoughts? What were the emotions going through a, a fairly entertaining slate of games this past Saturday? Well, I mean, yeah, we could go with like the general spiel of, oh, it's great to have football back and, you know, great to see all the teams again. But no, like there's actually like a legit good weekend of football. I mean, a couple score lines that let's say may have ended up being out of hand kind of after a couple late scores being that, um, you know, the Western game or the Queens U of T game in particular. But I think basically four out of the five games were uh, close for the most part and up until the end. So, I mean, it couldn't be happier from my end in terms of the the quality of entertainment on hand this weekend, Zach. How about you? Yeah, you know, it's always the, the question of did we learn anything? And I feel like part of the what we do is to, you know, be informative, but also to be reactionary a little bit. And I'm sure that'll come out in the course of our conversation. But, I, you know, I, I think that we did. There was a number of teams that we thought were kind of in the mix with one another as that. I think we called it. There was I think we identified having a Western as the, the cut above, maybe a one B tier. But then a lot of teams in that sort of secondary mix. And I think a few of these games we'll get into, I think, sort of validated our our thoughts on who's sort of in the mix for that like middle class of the OUA. So it'll be really interesting to see how that bears out uh, with a few more weeks of games, um, you know, to sort of uh, add to what we learned or perhaps didn't learn this week. Um, so yeah, a lot of entertaining uh, games and just, yeah, it was great just having OUA football back um, <laughs> to throw out the cliche. So let's start where we often do with some awards, players of the week and all that jazz. We'll start on offense. Nate, who do you want to acknowledge for their performance on the offense side of the ball this week? You know, I'm going to pull a last minute switcheroo on you, Zach. I know I told you someone else, but I'm actually going to go to the other team in this case. I'm going to go uh, with Ottawa Gigi's pick. I'm going with JP Simonkanda. Um, I mean, a really gutsy performance from this team in general, um, losing your start starting quarterback early in the game, Ben Miracle, and having to go to a backup on the road, hostile environment, this and that. We've all said it before, but having a bell cow like him to kind of drag you to the finish line even on that last drive having a couple carries um towards the walk-off field goal you know his final line 18 carries 125 yards no touchdowns but just instrumental in sort of moving that ball up and down the field for that team and getting him that clutch win before that seven and a half hour drive home i can't imagine the relief that those players must have felt um getting that win at the end yeah, that must have been, a, if they didn't stay the night, that must have been a hell of a bus ride going back. And JP's a guy where, I mean, we've obviously seen what he does uh, year in, year out, whether it was his time at Guelph or in his first year playing for the GGs last year. You know, sort of one of the mysteries coming out of training camp when all the rosters weren't set. I didn't actually think JP was was back for them this year, and that perhaps would have changed my opinion of, of where I thought this team could go. So, I mean, huge for them, obviously, with him being there and performing like that, as you alluded to, miracle with the injury we'll see what that looks like going down the pike i'm gonna acknowledge a another ottawa running back but not an ottawa gg running back a carlton raven running back in josh ferguson you know carlton obviously picking up the big win at home against mac and we'll get into that in more detail but i think an example of two teams that you know when it's all said and done this game can have a lot of implications as far as tie break and things of that nature um, Ferguson, 23 attempts, 118 on the ground, one touchdown, uh, average of 5.1, and also a nice little 32-yard reception. Um, you know, we talked about what the impact of Nathan Carter finally hanging up the cleats was going to be for him. You know, that was the classic, you know, sort of thunder and lightning kind of combo. Nathan being more the scat back and and uh, Ferguson being more the downhill runner and, uh, you know, an example of, you know, I think a, a guy that really did wear down that Mac defense of just being able to run up the middle with him. And when he gets into space, he does have that breakaway speed. Bit injury riddled season last year. Uh, didn't have the performance that we expected coming off his breakout 2019 season. And, you know, I, I, I think there was a lot of question marks for this Carlton Ravens team and him being a big one of just how he was going to perform. And great start for him. Great start for the Ravens. And, uh, yeah, good, uh, well, we'll get into more details with that game. Uh, let's go over the the defensive side of the ball. Who do you want to shout out? Yeah, I think we're going to stay at that uh, over in Carlton at that stadium. I'm going to go with Shaheem Charles Brown, um, defensive end for the Carlton Ravens. Uh, six solo tackles, but sort of the the statement on the day is four sacks, 
which is a Carlton single game record. So, I mean, you have to mention that. And really, that was sort of the key to the game. Um, if you were watching along at home, was that that Carlton pressure on the Mac offense, which really, I mean, sputtered throughout the day, not really being able to generate much. And uh, Sheen was a big, big factor in that. Yeah, I mean, obviously four sacks, you know, is is a ton to rack up in a single game. It, it kind of blew my mind just thinking of, some of the ballers that have played for that team, I mean, first come to mind is like a guy like Kenny Onyeka, who graduated, I think, in 2018 or something. I think he's still with the Red Blacks. And even a guy like Jack Kassar, obviously linebacker, not the type of position where you're going to rack up necessarily as many sacks. But, you know, not a defense that's been uh, in lieu of, of studs there. So, uh, you know, shout out to Shaheem for that. You know, sent out a message to uh, assistant defensive coach Nadia Ducouré after the game, just kind of get her thoughts on on. Uh, on Shaheem's performance and just, you know, she just exalted just how, you know, what a leader he is in the squad, spent some time with the CFL uh, earlier and just, you know, coming back and maybe the motivation of all that um, sort of prompting him to have this performance and just, you know, what is to come. So just another example of, you know, one of these, a, a great sign of things for Carlton this year. So you know, we'll keep an eye on that. For me on the defensive side of the ball, got a shout out, you know, Guy who, you know, we talk about how Western was able to win a Vanier Cup and yet still perhaps get better. And a big part of that is having a guy like Daniel Valente Jr. back at safety for them. You know, three picks on the day. Uh, that one with, I don't know, the the total yardage on that one big pick. Obviously, you get the ball in his hands and he's pretty, pretty nasty with it. But, you know, by all accounts, he talked to people on that defense. It's the, you know, the cliche, like having a coach on the field with him back there just sort of calling rotations and just calling out different things he's seeing offensively. Um, heck of a start by that Western team in general. A bit of a younger defense, some guys graduating out, but with him at the at, you know back there at safety, that's going to be huge to them. Um, and obviously there are no slouches on offense either. So Western is, is probably looking to be who we thought they were going to be, um, large part with guys like Valente Jr. Um, special teams, who are you liking? Um, I mean, we were talking before, you know, whether this guy was going to be offensive player of the, game of the week, you know, or special teams player of the week, uh, just to fit in some extra guys and show some more guys love. Um, we're going to move him down to the special teams, but it's Jaden Blackman from Queens. Um, just an electric day all around watching this guy, um, you know, carry the football, huge rushing stats on the day, 12 of 134. Um, but really the standout point, and if you're watching the game, this was sort of the play of the game as well, is, is the missed field goal return for a touchdown, you know. I don't know if you know, Zach, but those Canadian fields are a bit longer and that's a long way to run and no one caught him. So, uh, I mean, definitely, you know, one of the new characters uh, coming to play on that Queens offense, which we'll get into later, but a really exciting performance from him. Yeah. And as you said, a great day rushing on the ground as well, which, you know, for Queens, we'll get into it more, obviously, with Rashid Tucker being gone is huge to see who's going to fill in those shoes. And it seems a little bit like running back by committee and they have a pretty strong committee there. Uh, I'll go to the the game that we'll end up transitioning into once we're done with our players of the week, the the York-Waterloo game, and shout out uh, Anesu Latmore of the Waterloo Warriors. Two block punts, which set up Waterloo with some tremendous field position. It, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, actually, when you look at the final stats, that despite the lopsided score, 41-8 to eight, the final, York's pardon me, Waterloo's just offensive stats don't blow you away, and it's large part because they started with some pretty short fields in massive part due to a guy like Latmore uh, getting after the punts. Looked like Waterloo, well, very much was the case. They were having some trouble getting the ball back there. But, you know, you still got to make those plays happen, and a huge part in getting his team uh, not just the win, but a bit of a statement win in the uh, in the now post-Trey Ford era for Waterloo. Um, so shout out to those six uh, studs and obviously plenty more uh, guys that we'll uh, mention as we go through our games. And uh, yeah, we'll start right there with the Waterloo Warriors at the York Lions. Final score in this game, Waterloo 41, the York Lions 8. Uh, I mean, obviously the big story in this was going to be who was marching out for QB for Waterloo. And when we did our preview pod, we were kind of having a little fun at some of the names that were in the mix. And I, I remember you did recognize one of the names that we threw out. I don't know if it was Nolan Caban 
kid from out west and you know good day for him 12 for 20 uh, 12 of 22 200 yards four touchdowns and that's with losing you know arguably his top receiver in Gordon Lamb after the first half York obviously leaves a lot to be desired and so this is a perfect example of a, a, a team where you could easily read too much in it from the Waterloo standpoint from what you sort of gathered uh, following this game what were some of your thoughts on on Waterloo making a bit of a statement in the Lions then look I mean we could talk I mean I, I do want to get into what, what we think we can gather from this because I don't I, I really don't want to put too much stock into what I saw. I mean, in terms of evaluating a young quarterback, you can kind of get a gist of what a guy's about. And I think in terms of Nolan Caban, I mean, a, a pretty, I mean, aside from let's throw out the four touchdowns just for a minute, but a pretty typical stat line that you'd expect from, from a young guy, you know, uh, 12 of 22, 200 yards. One of that being a long 70 yard touch, uh, 70 yard pass. So you kind of look at that and you say, okay, well, really it was kind of 11 for 130 kind of deal. Um, but which I mean, you know, he's a young kid. And I think he looked like he had a good arm. He was throwing the ball on time, you know, all the things you want to see from a young quarterback. Um, but there was the thing that stuck out to me is this kid was, you know, didn't really have any fear. I mean, sometimes you can see young players almost second guessing themselves in the pocket, you know, wanting to be very sure about throws. Um, but this guy was playing out there with no fear, uh, you know, rolling out and throwing balls on the run with guys coming in and coming in to make a big hit on him. And that kind of thing. Uh, so just really fearless with the football and kind of, you know, really, you know, I don't want I don't know if ballsy is the right word, but really kind of gutsy and kind of, uh, you know, having no fear in terms of throwing the football. So I think that's what you would prefer to see out of your young quarterback. And, uh, you know, we can work on kind of uh, checking it down, making the simpler throws later on. But uh, I mean, all things considered pretty good. Yeah, and you know, me and Tom kind of talked about this, but obviously, us being offensive linemen, really have no clue what we're talking about. But the impact of, you know, obviously it being Caban, but just the number of young QBs that they had that were vying for that starting spot. But the impact of having a, a very veteran receiving core. Mentioned Gordon Lamb's name, um, who had a touchdown in the first half. James Basley, he mentioned, ended up with four receptions, 110 yards. <clears throat> Pardon me. Three touchdowns, of course, you're saying, one, as you mentioned, one of those being a 70-yarder. Um, but even guys like Rashawn Dagelman um, in the mix as well. Um, I, I have to imagine like that must give a certain level, of, you know, whether you want to call it ballsy or whatever you want to call however you want to define that performance, in just knowing that the guys out there he's slinging the ball to have been in that program and, and you know, just have a, the reputation somewhat precedes them. That must, that must instill a bit of calm for a guy out there, yeah? Yeah. You know, and I think before we get in New York, I kind of want to ask you a question, please. Um, and I think that is, you know, is this changing your thoughts on Waterloo at all before the year? Because I saw, you know, there was a player on Instagram or something like that throwing a comment under one of our posts about kind of where we had them at the end of the year. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, if this this victory over York kind of uh, changed what you thought of them at all or how are you feeling? You know, off the top of my head, I, I don't recall every single record we predicted. I am certain however many wins we assumed or thought Waterloo would get, this was going to be one of them. So I guess to answer your question, no, it's not going to change my mind. Hey, we we learned who start like, and this is the thing too, is that, you know, I can't even say for certain if, you know, I mean, Caban, like I said, nice performance, maybe a bit inflated for, you know, all the reasons we kind of said. And we can talk about York a little bit if we really want to. But, you know, it's hard to read too much into it. <laughs> if we, we really want to. huh? <laughs> I guess that's our our job in a certain degree. But, you know, I it, it's kind of like we we're setting up. It's just there, there's still so many questions moving forward. Obviously, this is a team now getting the week to buy, I believe. And then they are going to open up. Um, the weekend of September 10th with Guelph visiting them, which is obviously a much uh, taller task to face. I think we'll learn much more about them in that regard. So, and I think the thing is too, to consider is that the game was over early. Like it was, what was it? 32 to nothing fairly early on in the game. Uh, so Waterloo probably feeling comfortable saying, you know, we didn't even show too much anyways, because we knew, you know, we just kind of had to stand pat and, you know, see this thing out to the end. Definitely. Um, 
I mean, for York, uh, what do we want to say? I mean, no Avante McCoy in this game for them, who obviously, you know, runs the ball um, effectively, can, you know, make a player two out in, in the passing attack for them. They had a guy in Melkis Alunga with a touchdown late in the third or in the fourth, 64 yards total. Darnell Jarrett, a guy who's been in there a bit, a couple yards for him. You know, Noah couldn't make anything happen in the passing attack. I mean, and with, you know, some guys like Alfred Olay, Gabriel Payakubi, guys that we've seen play for them a bit. I mean, defensively, a guy like Matt Dean, Dawson Davis, you know, guys that we've seen in there. But I, I, I don't know. Like, do you, what do you make of all of this? I mean, like, I don't, it's not your, like, Look, I mean, obviously, York's not always, let's say, uh, the picture of perfection in terms of OUA football. But this is not like, for me, kind of the same old York issues this time around. Um, Obviously, they're going to have a few athletes. I mean, it seems they always got a couple pro bodies on the team somehow, some way that end up making it into the league. I think, you know, there's potential for that with this squad as well. But I mean, a team with only 50 some odd guys on the roster and things like that's not normal. That's not something you see in the OUA. Um, you know, you have sort of, I mean, someone <laughs> forwarded this to us on Twitter, um, was a video of, of a Warren Craney press conference after the game and just very strange, you know, not really normal things you hear coach saying, talking about how the offense was a train wreck last year and horrible after they lose a coordinator. Now I I don't know if I have petty is the word I want to use, but that's like, I mean, come on. I don't see any other coaches in the league doing that um, kind of thing after games and things like that. You know, I'm sure if, if um, you know, sorry, I'm losing anyone else who lost an offensive coordinator, but it's just like not, not very, uh, you know, reputable behavior. And you kind of look at sort of a situation where you get a couple of punts blocked in the game and you have a bad, long snap and things like that. You just, you don't see anyone else in the league making these kind of mistakes. It's, it's not, you know, really what we come to expect in terms of the standard of football and things going on. And it is, it is worse than usual. And I'm really like, unfortunately, you know, not looking forward to kind of what the season holds for York at this point. I mean, I hope there's improvements to be made, um, but they have a long way to go. Yeah. You know, you asked about my feelings on how we, predicted Waterloo season to go um, and whether this game changed any of um, my thoughts about that which once again it it didn't um, based on how we predicted our two Toronto teams to uh, finish in UFT and and York um, my thoughts have changed on that manner and in the the single win between those two games pardon me those two teams I think will swing the other way Um, and and you mentioned just to be good Noah's Noah's hating man I just I feel bad I feel bad you know what I mean it just does not make me feel good for you know anyone involved in that situation whether it be coaches or players etc I mean it must be pretty tough going into that meeting room this morning Uh, (laughs) um, if if they have meetings Um, but you know you you mentioned some of those pro bodies as Nate makes a face at me Um, you mentioned some of those pro bodies and a guy that we've been used to donning the, the York Lions red and black for a number of years on defense in Talik Aoman. Uh Use this as a transition point because he popped up on the defense for the Carlton Ravens and we'll take use that as our opportunity to move into that game. Final score, the Carlton Ravens 24, the McMaster Marauders 18. Game was in Ottawa. Uh, for me, this was a game of, uh, you know, I'd say the possibly the most intriguing game of the year, pardon me, of the week, I should say, just because of the year both these teams had uh, in 2021 and a lot of question marks that were going to, you know, on the table. We sort of mentioned some of them for Carlton as well, how Ferguson would bounce back after a bit of an injury-riddled season, not having Nathan Carter there with him, Terrence Young missing last year with an, uh, a bad ankle, was, was it a shoulder injury? Um whatever it was that pretty much kept him out for the whole year. And then on the McMaster side of the ball, you know, returning a lot of players, but, you know, obviously probably the, 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 the number one victim of the East-West divide last year in terms of a team that didn't make the playoffs and Andreas Duick being back uh, for his, what I'm guessing is last year, um, you know, off the jump, you know, like you said, Mac returning a lot of players and, and a lot of familiar faces and a lot of that same 
sort of institutional knowledge from when they won the uh, Yates in 2019, including most notably Duick. But in the, you know, so far through one game of action, the biggest sort of, you know, hiccup for them seems to be one of the biggest issues from last year, which is protecting Dewey, protecting Andreas Duick. And you mentioned the performance of Shaheem Charles Brown racking up four sacks by himself, but Duick being taken down six times. You know, our 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 good friend and at the fifty-five brother Tom Sterling, who played offensive line on this team, assures us that their their line is decent, maybe not as the of the caliber of you know the top tier teams. You know, from a quarterback's perspective, or you know, or start wherever you want to, but just from sort of how you saw them wheeling and dealing in this game, like what what's going on here? I mean, well, I think like the thing is. Which is actually an effective comparison. It's the comparison to Carlton's offense, and I think you look at Mac and just everything looks it looks hard, man. It's not easy. You know they're not doing like a lot of stuff on first down to get them in positive situations, um, or at least you know maybe they're trying or they're not really able to execute it. Um, but you look at Carlton's offense, which struggled early in the game, but as they sort of got into their groove, you know they're running the ball for five, ten yards a carry. You know they're throwing hit screens, they're hitting quick game, boom, boom, boom. They're moving the ball down the field in a methodical manner. And, uh, you know, kind of watching Max offense throughout the game, it was kind of you weren't really seeing a lot of positive situations for them um, and the offense, which can lead to, you know, second and long and a D line being able to tee off because they know what's coming. They know what's coming and it is going to be Duex standing in the pocket and trying to make a play. And to be fair, when they did make plays, there were a couple really nice second and long completions that they had throughout the game. So, you know, the talent's there, you know, they're, they're capable of making plays, um, but it's just you know, there's just, they didn't really have it together. You know, there was no rhythm and, um, and that comes from the quarterback spot too. I mean, I know Tom kind of mentioned in the chat, but he was bang on and saying that, you know, you could tell Duke, you know, maybe sometimes he's uh, uncomfortable. Sometimes he's a little too comfortable holding onto the ball for a bit long. Um, but it's just, you know, Mac just seems like an offense out of rhythm. Zach, what do you think? Well, you know, the, I think the big thing that stands out to me is that, you know, some of the big names in that receiving core over the years, guys like Xander Tachinsky or Tommy Neal, then uh, a few other guys I'm sure I'm missing, obviously gone. But the way they run that offense, at least from the passing standpoint, still what made them, I think, partly why I think made them so special in 2019, which is that, you know, you look at sort of the, the receiving numbers. You got Jacob Pattern, four receptions, 72 yards. James uh, uh, Priestner, three receptions, 59. Jackson Cooling, a, a name that's obviously been there for a while, five for 37. Daniel Boss, a two for 33. And that, you know, whether that's a product of, uh, well, probably a combination of both of the offensive system and then Duick's ability to not hone in on one guy, what I find most impressive is that very that very thing. It's never been just one guy on offense for them. Why all of a sudden it's not turning into the type of results it did in the past. Maybe that is just because the guys getting the balls in the ball in their hands aren't the Zandrachinskis, Tommy Neals of the world who then can take, you know, that you know, whatever 10 yard reception, make it 15, make it 20, you get those extra yards in there. Um, so that's the, that's the weird thing is that it, there, there is so much similarity with this team, both obviously in personnel, as we highlighted, and also the way they run it. Maybe that's other teams catching on to the way they do things. I don't really know. A lot to be desired in the run game for them as well. Um, from, from Carlton, though, I mean, really nice to see, as we mentioned, Tanner Young back in the fold for them. 20 for 28, 216 yards, one TD. Um, obviously, you combine that with the production that, that Ferguson had. A really solid day. It looked like both these teams took a little while to get their, get their, their, you know, their offenses rolling. But, you know, I guess that's usually the case in week one. But I don't know. The, with Mac, it's tough. Like, it's just it's unfortunate when one of the biggest hurdles you see for a team from one year in the first game of the next seems to still be there, which is the offensive line play. And you sort of, you know, it's, we mentioned, well, is it Shaheem just going off? But then you also see the lack of production in the run game. And it's like, well, then maybe, yeah, maybe that offensive line isn't really moving bodies, let alone stopping buys from getting to Duick. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, and the same token, I think Carlson's defense deserves some credit. I mean, mixing up the pressures and things like that, knowing the front they play, um, that they can mix it up and send five, which they like to do a lot. Um, definitely plays a role in it. But like you said, if you don't have that running game there, then there's really 
nothing for anyone to worry about in terms of uh, playing honest and things like that. Um, but I look at Carlton, I was really impressed. Like it felt, it really felt to me like a team that kind of knew who they wanted to be. They had a strong identity and having something like that from week one is really positive for a team, you know, being able to run the football effectively. And, you know, you have a quarterback who, you know, didn't light the world on fire, but it was really, you know, true veteran performance. I would say from Tanner to young, uh, spreading the ball around and getting first downs, just keeping drives moving. And you know what, at the end of the day, I think the scoreline really kind of reflects how this game went. And I think, you know, just one kind of, you know, little, I don't know if it's like a huge stat, but Max office didn't generate the touchdown on the day. So Carlin's defense really having a huge day, um, not holding, holding the offense to only three field goals, only nine points on the day for the Mac offense. That's tough. Yeah. And, and you know what, just looking for looking a little ahead for both these teams, Mac returning home to take on York, who we obviously just talked about Carlton heading to Toronto to take on UFT. And in the case of Mac, I think, well, I, we're expecting them to pick up that win. But, you know, for all the things we say about York, you know, as you mentioned, a couple guys, especially on that defense, who can get after the QB, couple guys there that uh, racked up some stats. And, you know, I think that'll really be a, a litmus test for them to see, like, is this a problem of the offensive line or was Carlton really performing well um, on that defense? And it, 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 the truth of the matter, as things usually bear out, is that it's probably a bit of both. Um, well, with that, let's slide over to our next game and we'll talk about the two teams that probably, well, maybe not compete neck and neck for, you know, your love and affection, but more so than probably any other teams out there. It's the Queens Golden Gales. It's the UFT Blues from Kingston. Final score in this game, Queens 47, UFT 25. Uh, you know, this game's the, the cliche tale of two halves with, Let's see if I can pull it up. I believe at the half, what was it? At the halftime, halftime 2018 was Queens. But then twenty important to note that UFT scored a return touchdown in the first play of the second half. So it was basically 25-20 UFT um, at the start of the second half. So Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that first half was both incredibly exciting for not just UFT fans. I think just for a lot of people – you know, cheering for parity in this league, seeing this young man, Kinsale Phillip, put up, I think it was 211 yards in the first half alone, really spreading the ball out. The unfortunate thing, though, is the final stats on the day for Kinsale are 225 yards. And on the flip side, you know, a lot of people slinging arrows at your Queen's Golden Gales after their Yates Cup appearance in the undefeated regular season last year. And I think a lot of people just like rubbing their hands like, yeah, Queens, you are getting, you're in a ball game with the UFT Blues. It seems like, you know, you talk about offensive coordinator change and things like that. It's a UFT team, which not just having some new faces um, on the field, but, you know, a new OC and Joe Demore running things there, former head coach for the Windsor Lancers. I think the, 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 the perhaps, obvious answer not that uft didn't show some really good things because you still have to execute and do all those is that you know you look at a guy like ryan bickmanis at the helm for, of that defense in queens hey it's an oc that you don't have uh, experience with with this uft team saw what he had to do saw what he had to you know adjust going to the second half and he made those adjustments so a lot of the same guys on that queens defense we saw that made them so special last year um and if anything, you'd expect them to get better. And that second half, I think, really showed it because UFT really could not move the ball one way or the other in that second half. What, what what did you make of this game being so uber competitive through the first two and a bit, uh, two quarters and a bit of the game, and then Queens really just pulling away? I mean, from an outside perspective, it seems like you know, kind of, you need to hit the nail on the head there. I mean. When you think about teams preparing for a game, you know, I, I don't know if the, the uh, casual listener kind of has an idea of what goes into it and sort of the process of, you know, if you're going to in a game, you're going to want to have film of your previous opponent. And in this case, you're going to want to have film that you have of the other coordinator sort of calling plays and what plays does he like? What concepts does he like? You know, and Joe Moore's been gone for, you know, a couple of years. So, I mean, going back and getting that film, you know, I don't know if they're watching Lancer's film from, uh, sometime in the 2010s, but I mean, it probably wasn't an ideal situation from a prep standpoint and what sort of scout cards are you going to drop for your guys to prepare against? So um, 
Queens was definitely in for a shock that first half. I could tell you, uh, I was watching the game with a couple U of T alums, and uh, let's just say I had a I had a lump in my throat. You know, that first half, uh, trying to trying to defend my guys, and you know, I was almost ready to start printing off the Kinsale Philip Heck Creighton T-shirts. You know, at halftime, <laughs> but you know, as you said, unfortunately, that Queens defense really made the adjustment. Um, but I mean, you know, in sort of pulling things out from this game, adjustments and kind of shutting down the U of T offense, I mean, really almost all together in the second half, they really didn't have anything. Um, but in the first half, I mean, you know, they were really sticking some tight throws and you really had some receivers making some tough catches, big plays. So um, there's a lot of talent on that, on that offense. And hopefully, you know, they'll have a good plan next week. I'm sure as they did this week, but hopefully, you know, a bit more capable of making uh, adjustments themselves in, in, in the second half going forward. Yeah, and going back to the Joe Demore piece, just a funny thing kind of occurred to me in you mentioning how far back they, you know, the Queen staff may have had to dig to try and get a sense of what he might want to run offensively. At least the last time Joe Demore was the head man at Windsor, his offensive coordinator was Matt Nesbitt, who's now the offensive line coach with Queen. So I mean, uh, you know, obviously they're not, you know, UFT's not doing whatever Matt ran with uh, Windsor, but you know, that's you, you kind of mentioned. Um, in talking about Nolan Caban for Waterloo and kind of having this sort of fearless approach. And I, I, that kind of is how it felt with, with Philip and UFT in the first half that he's just, yeah, throwing some balls into tight windows, almost not realizing like, you know, that as if like he, as if they didn't, as if they didn't, as if they didn't scout Queens. And I don't say that to say that they didn't do their homework. I'm absolutely certain they did. And no doubt did all their due diligence, but just not realize, you know, the way that you might tentatively go up against an opponent that's of the caliber of a defense as this Queens team being like, yeah, it could be anyone. We're just going to, hey, we're going to do our thing and it doesn't matter. Queens made the adjustments um, and it obviously worked out for them. Um, let's talk about this Queens offense. Um, you know, James Keenan, veteran guy there at the QB position, 20 for 25, 246 and a touchdown, uh, sacked three times, which you know, we mentioned with Duick, maybe it's him holding onto the ball a few times too long. With Keenan, it's not necessarily him holding onto the ball in the sense of just the statuesque quarterback in the pocket, but he's going to try and scramble and make things happen with his feet. Um, but you combine, you know, what he did in the air with also, you know, saying he can run the ball really well. But then you already talked about uh, Jaden Blackman, the first year running back out of London, Anthony Souls. Uh, who's been on the program for a couple years, I believe. And then uh, Jared Kasseri, who uh, learned through, you know, sort of messaging with some folks during that game, a UMass transfer. So, you know, talking about, you know, new faces and new places or old faces, new places and what have you. Big question with this team, obviously, was going to be how they were going to replace the production of Rashid Tucker. And in addition to also a few members of the offensive line, being uh you know graduating and moving on and you know not that for all the good things we saw out of uh Kinsel Phillip uh and this uh UFT offense in, in moments you know not a defense at least in the front seven that really necessarily instills the most confidence you know I guess going back to that question of did we really learn something or was it just maybe not the best uh test so to speak to go up against but what did you take away from the performance of this queen's offense and particularly looking at how they just were able to just pound the rock in the second half yeah i think it, you know i don't know how many teams in the league have a d1 transfer as their third back you know i think that's a a, a pretty special thing to have on the table uh I'm, i mean right up there in terms of well i don't want to i don't want to go as far to say they're as good as the western running backs yet uh you know these are still some young guys but i mean you kind of see that identity of, you know, they're going to run the football and, you know, James Keenan, I mean, a really efficient performance. Like if he could continue, I mean, the sacks, you know, a bit of an issue, but, you know, he is a bit of a playmaker in that regard, a bit of a gunslinger back there um, trying to make plays sometimes, which, you know, will pay off sometimes. And you know what, maybe in a game against Western, you can't afford to make mistakes like that, but, it, you know, um, a really efficient performance. And if he can continue to do that and sort of they continue with this identity, I, you know, I, I feel I feel confident enough with uh, me having them second in the division uh, in my preseason rankings. I know people are th- are probably seeing the scoreline saying, whoa, 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 like UFT game a real scare. You know, what? I think they did. But I think in the end, it probably was, you know, not necessarily as we expected. But that second half, I mean, it was just so completely dominant. Was, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think next week, Queens will go up against um, 
a more formidable defense in the Ottawa GGs that will really perhaps give us a better sense of what they're made of and <clears throat> pardon me same and with UFT against another strong defense though perhaps not as um adequate as 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 Queens's defense and the Carlton Ravens to really see you know what is um like replicable of of that offensive performance at least in the first half last note to to really highlight and it, it, you know it, it does come back to York a little bit talking about players that have left you know even a guy like a st- you know this isn't just any punt. Dante Master Giuseppe is one of the, the the most one one of the most one of the best punters during his time in the league, and now he's donning the you know the UFT blue. He's gone. He's 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 a downtown man now, going from you know your clients. He took, to he, the, he UFT took blue. the yellow line down uh, down to St. George. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he went from yeah York from York Station to St. George. Um, good game, kicking the ball for him as well. Um, but yeah, no, I think this game, on the one hand, instilled some confidence in, if not what this year could be for UFT, aside from, like I said, perhaps changing my thought and who's going to win the, the Red and Blue Bowl, the, the Toronto Bowl, whatever you want to call it, um, almost definitely. Um, but then also showing that, you know, I, I think Queens was, it, it was nice that we were able to see both UFT show some nice things in the first half, but Queens make the statement that a lot of people um, not actively rooting against the Gales thought that they might be trying to do an opening the season with that, you know, as Tom mentioned, a team that had an undefeated season, lost in the Yates, but still has this massive chip on their shoulder when you think a lot of teams would be, you know, maybe prone to rest on some laurels coming off of that season. So I think uh, a step in the right direction for both these teams, despite the lopsided score. And obviously with UFT, uh, this was going to be a year where we were going to see some rebuilding. Um, Quick shout out to Adam Williams, though, running back who's been there for a number of years. You know, not tremendous numbers, but 58 on the ground rushing it and then a receiving touchdown to boot. And just, you know, I feel like guys that are in some of these programs where, you know, not always the most success. It's nice, you know, always got to give a, sh- a shout out to a guy like that. Um, but we mentioned Queens taking their show on the road next week to the Ottawa GGs, and we'll go to that game next. The game that capped off the the week of games, pardon me, the, the Saturday lineup of games. We're going to end with the Western Guelph game, obviously. Um, we didn't forget about that one. Um, but yeah, Ottawa on the road to Windsor. Final score in this one, the Ottawa GGs 19, the Windsor Lancers 16. Um, barn burner of a game. Frustrating to try following because... The feed was not working through the OUA Yar Yar uh, TV for some time, and uh, which is unfortunate because you know I think in many regards you take out some of the sort of storylines that made some of these other games very intriguing to follow. Very likely this was the the game of Saturday. Uh, we talked a little bit already about Windsor and uh, what they, or probably with. Um, with Ottawa and what they were able to do running the ball with J.P. Simmonkinda, with having to switch it up at QB, with Miracle going down, going to Mahler. Um, and then, you know, Windsor, obviously, with those magic golden arches looming large in the background. And, you know, they were another team where QB was going to be a position we were going to be finding out some information about. And, you know, it seemed like Skelton or uh, Zinger was going to be taking the the reins there. And it's, uh, you know, at least from one game, it's it's Carter Zinger, 14 for 24, 101, no touchdowns, two interceptions. So, so nothing great. But what did you make of this game sort of watching uh, and following along? Well, I mean, it, it was it was tough to follow along, um, but I mean, it, it just a I think a resilient performance from from Ottawa. Um, I mean, you know, not having to deal with the best passing performance helps, but that Windsor running game was really something to um, you know behold or or strike fear into you. You know, with huge day on the ground for them. Um, unfortunately, not be able to put it together in the past game and kind of you know having to hold on with a backup quarterback. Who I mean. I think you mentioned his numbers already, which uh, they're not stellar by any means. 13 of 23, 118 in a pick for Matt Mahler of Ottawa. But at the end of the day, when the chips were down and they needed that drive at the end of the game, it was 16-16 late with a minute left. Um, and Mahler took him down for the field goal to win the game, basically a walk-off um, in Windsor. And that's a huge win for a team. I mean, to build momentum going into the season. Um, you know, unfortunately, you lose your starting quarterback. We don't know, obviously, the details of that right now, um, unfortunately. But Ben Miracle, I mean, had a great start. You know, he was five of seven for 69 yards. So 
Um, I mean, I can imagine this is just being a huge confidence boost for Ottawa. I mean, coming out of a tight situation like that and being 1-0 and 0-1 can be a huge difference for a team in the season, um, especially when you're going to a week when you're playing, you know, um, the, the, the Yates Cup finalists, uh, the Queens Gales. So definitely more of a test next week. But um, I think Ottawa, this is, you know, given the circumstances, as good as you could have hoped for, really. I mean. Yeah, and, you know, defensively for Windsor, you know, a guy like Andrew Beatty there in the defensive secondary, he's been there for a number of years and been uh, just as consistent as they come for them. Um, you know, we talked a bit about some players we expected to see wearing certain jerseys um, not present or just certain players we expected to see not on the teams we saw them last at all. And, uh, you know, one of the most notable examples of that that we didn't I didn't really take note of or see going into doing our sort of preview pod for week one um, but it's become very clear after this game is that Bennett Vanny the line standout linebacker for Windsor from last year and has been at the program a couple of years and not remembering exactly what his eligibility situation was um, isn't rocking with the Lancers which uh, you know don't have details about that and I won't begin to speculate but you know that was he's definitely a piece that made them as much as we kind of no I won't say joke about the whole magic of playing at Windsor and the difficulties that brings up but you know a defense that can really um yeah you know (laughs) make you have to really work hard for everything you gain and you know go back to that 2021 season and what they were able to do to both Mac and Guelph in, in in those victories at home and just yeah, I feel I feel like that's, we saw it so many yeah. times these these scores in the teens between <laughs> Windsor and these teams at home. You know, it's really uh, you know turning the page on a new season, but a lot of the same same kind of vibes there. Yeah, they. I, I don't. I, it's. I, I don't think I'm smart enough to really understand quite what it is, but Windsor just somehow makes you have to muck it up and kind of you know <laughs> they're just gonna bring you down to the mud and wrestle you, wrestle you there um but so yeah vanny not being there is huge if that's if that's true that he's not going to be with the program this year um and so we'll see and this game as well another example of a game like that carlton mack game where two teams on a where where in the middle similar- are they going to fall between the two of them you know well, exactly right, and there's much like that Matt Carlton game. Again, I think this a, a brilliant Week One matchup that, like, down the pike, we might be looking back at and saying, like, "Holy cow!" And you mentioning just how impressive it was for Matt Mauler to lead them down for that field goal and everything like that. These moments that you know, not to say they're in, uh, inconsequential right now. Obviously, it led to the win, but just as the season progresses, perhaps we'll just be more and and, and more greater in terms of just the impact on it. Um, obviously, as we said, Ottawa going to be returning home um, to take on Queens and. Uh, Windsor on the road to the other alumni stadium, or I guess Windsor's calls theirs alumni field, alumni stadium at, at Guelph, to take on the Guelph Griffins next week. And um, yeah, obviously with with Ottawa, who will be at quarterback for them is going to be huge. It'll be great to see what JP can do. I mean, one of, you know, just seeing his name out there automatically, it's like, all right, that's going to be one of the top three, five backs in this league this year. Um, mentioned Guelph there. Let's take this into our final game um, that we're covering. Obviously, not chronologically the last game of the of the evening, but the game that we thought was going to be sort of the game of the week. Guelph at Western. Final score in this one: the Western Mustangs thirty-four, the Guelph Griffins eleven. Um, you know the, the crazy thing with this is that as as lopsided as you can interpret that score to be though obviously perhaps not as you know um slanted as you look at say the waterloo score or the queen score i feel like western has a bit of a reputation of you know most teams the offense takes a little bit of time to get rolling but it seems like you know if a team's ever gonna you know get western's goose so to speak it's gonna happen in week one or if it's gonna be close it'll happen in week one so they win by 23 they only give up 11 points to Guelph, no majors, and yet still, like, I think this is far from as good as Western will be. And, you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves, maybe aside from when Queens rolls into London, I'm not sure who else can really 
or at least we might anticipate you, you never know any given Saturday or whenever the games may happen who might just you know come out swinging and give them a good game but just sort of based on the reputations of these teams who we think uh, definitely a bit disappointing like I said where I think week one's an opportunity where you can possibly get Western I mean they were at home that's obviously makes that much harder and Guelph being a team that offensively you know you lose Keandre Smith the CFL Sean Law another year where we expected him to take that next step further he still has Clark Barnes in the mix they have some veterans on that offensive line another kind of team running back by committee guys like Kwame Ose in there um and and the likes of uh you know Juwan Jeffrey and, and some other guys in there that have been consistently you know doing their thing for Guelph and then a younger western defense though obviously with Guys like Dan Valente Jr. still kind of at the helm, making them so deadly. I know you were sort of a bit more uh, engaged with this game than, than I was sort of in that 1 o'clock slot a game, so I'll just hand it over to you. What were some of your major takeaways from this one? Yeah, I don't... Disappointing is not the right word, but it was like, uh, you know, a bit of a letdown because I mean, in the game, Guelph looked up to the task. I mean, it was really close early. Um, Guelph jumped out to an early lead. Um, and really kind of pushed this team in the first half. I mean, the half ended kind of 10-6. Um, and it was really tight. Um, you know, that Guelph defense had really, you know, locked up the Western offense. And the Guelph offense wasn't, let's say, lighting the world on fire. But, you know, a couple good runs, you know, were able to move the ball on drives. Um, and I think that's really kind of where you saw things fall apart for Guelph is you know, they throw a pick or something like that, or they go two and out. And that's kind of once you start losing that momentum and the Western offense can really get rolling, then it's over for you. You know what I mean? So we can talk about defense and things like that. And I'm sure, you know, the Guelph defense is is, is still getting, a, you know, cut up in the film room or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, kind of what's going to be the key to being this Western team is going to be able to someone who can kind of hang with them in terms of establishing drives and keeping them off the field a bit from time to time. Because I mean, Guelph was able to do that early and you kind of saw like, okay, I can kind of see where like the game plan would be to kind of knock off Western. But, you know, as the game went on and they kind of got the ball rolling and really the running game really once that broke through, it it was done and dusted at that point, unfortunately. So. Yeah. And just, you know, uh, you go through just sort of drive by drive and just just a few too many times where, you're trading a field goal for then a touchdown on the other end of things. Um, and then, of course, uh, Law getting picked off, I think it was three times on the day, and, and Western being able to, to take advantage of those things. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's tough. I mean, it's a hard team. Like you said, they really competitive through that first half, and that defense, which, as we highlighted, you know, lost not only A.J. Allen and Jared Beeksma, you know, their two-star linebackers from last year to the CFL, but then, Obviously, Justin Lozon's out of there at linebacker as well. And and Ben Lack at safety, he's gone. And still a number of really talented players on that defense and guys who have been there. But just that that those are four names that I mean it's it's near impossible to try and recover that all in, in at least in one year. What'd you what'd you think of Evan Hillock's performance? You know, I don't think is the type of day that would blow anyone away, but when they have the type of rushing attack that they do, is is this the type of performance that you know, if he's doing consistently, I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong with, you know, 155 and two touchdowns. I mean, it's like I said, not not stellar by any means, but the way they run the ball, you know, Keon Edwards 118 on the ground, Edward Renati 105, where is it just one of those things where like he doesn't need to blow teams away? No, and I think, you know, maybe that could have been the thing early in the game too is maybe trying to lean on, you know, the pass a bit too much. And the running game kind of hadn't quite got going yet, but I mean, yeah. Just kind of whatever. I mean, that Guelph defense is still good, but I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, he definitely doesn't seem to be the heck Creighton for them to to get where they want to go. I think you'll definitely see him get a lot better as the year goes on. And definitely, like, I think as time comes to pass, we'll see that this Guelph team actually is quite good and the defense is quite good. You know, it's not going to look that way when, when you play Western in sort of the first week. So I haven't lost hope of Guelph yet, I think. But I mean, I don't. I feel bad saying it's like same old story or something like that, but all kind of like we said with Mac, the same questions we had going into this season about sort of the passing game and the offense in general still lingering after this first game, at least. 
Yeah, uh, and, and looking ahead to next week, Western taking their show on the road for uh, Laurier's first appearance on the schedule, uh, night game on Saturday, and then Guelph with their home opener, as we mentioned, with, with Windsor traveling to take them on. And, you know, we talk about some of these teams needing to make statements, and you know, I think Queens being that sort of, um, the, the sort of quintessential team where it was like, you know, if any team really wanted to come out guns a blazing, it would have been the Gales. And, you know, even if it took them a little bit to get their show and their, you know, their, their stuff going, they definitely did. You know, Guelph, I, you know, needs to not, they need to beat Windsor. That's, you know, goes without saying. I think they need to put up points. Like that needs to be like, you know, 35, 40 plus they need to, you know, put up on that Windsor team just to, I think, instill a little more confidence. And obviously, it goes without saying, they don't need to prove anything to to you or I or anyone out there watching. And they know what they're worth, and they know who's in that program and in that building better than anyone else does. But I mean, just from just from the optics standpoint, that's you know a bit of added pressure. Where I, I don't think just the win is enough. You know, if if Windsor is able to muck it up with them a little bit more and do that, like sort of nineteen to and that's, that was final. their game last year yeah. too. As Guelph, you know, arguably <laughs> they were really close to losing that game too. So yeah, no, it's uh, we'll we'll see. I mean, I think. Uh, it's unfortunately a, a similar tale, I guess, for for Guelph from just one week's uh, one week's uh, appearance. But nonetheless, you're still, you're still um, going to be pretty good. You're still going to be the top half of the league. You know, you're still going to be yeah. buying that two, three, you know, four zone. Like, isn't it's none of the cry? You know, for me, you know, hey, I lose against Western Week One. You know what? So what? They're supposed to win, man. If I beat Western, shit, pressure's on, man. I got to. Am I, I going to go undefeated or something? You know, maybe this isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Well, as we kind of start off by saying, you know, probably a few overreactions here and there, maybe some takes that'll bear out as as we sort of foresee it. But at the end of the day, hard to hard to make too much out of week one. There's a few things perhaps we can say we know, but that's why we tune in week after week. Uh, Nate, anything else uh, from this week of action that you want to sort of get off your chest before we call it a wrap? I'm just, uh, I'm just hopeful for more football, man. More good football. You know, what I mean, these tight scores, these tight games. It, uh, it was pretty electric weekend, so I just hope that continues going forward. 100%. And with the Labor Day weekend comes a nice sort of variety in the schedule. York at Mac at one o'clock next Saturday, two seven p.m. games. Queens at Ottawa Western at Laurier Sunday. Only one game on your schedule. Or Carlton travels to Toronto Varsity Stadium. That's actually I wish I was in Toronto. It'd be a nice little evening game at Varsity Stadium. And then on Labor Day Monday, September the fifth, Windsor travels to Guelph. That one o'clock game there. So we'll have that breakdown for you, Tom and myself, come Friday with all our thoughts on that. Nate, you and I will be back on the pod to talk about everything that went down. See what we learned. Uh, from that slate of games. So we'll talk to you very soon at the 55.